0: Good evening, Uh, I guess we're back again, Uh it's good to see that there's still people out here, we didn't chase you away last week. Um, um, I said that, I noticed I listened to to the thing and I said um a lot last week, so I'm going to try and do better this week. (laughs) Let's begin with a prayer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together tonight. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given us for our children, for our families, for our health, for our safety from the hurricane or from the hurricane, from the tornado uh, this a couple weeks ago. We thank you for all of the outpouring of generosity that's come from the people in the surrounding area. We ask you to send your spirit, to open our hearts and our minds so that we can hear you, hear your voice, and enter into conversation with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So, last week, we were talking about the, the different types of prayer. And Maggie led you through a session of Lectio Divina. I don't know if any of you had the chance to do that. This do it on your own this past week. I know some of you have. Um, <laughs> if if you haven't, give it a try. I mean, it, it's 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 worth a try. This is Lent. It's a time for change. A time to grow closer to our Lord, and that's it is a great opportunity uh, to do that. Again, it it sometimes takes a while to to really get into it, to hear, uh, but it's, it's well worth the effort. This week we're, we're going to talk about meditative prayer and together we're going to participate in a directed meditation. Oops. Now when we talk about meditation, a Christian meditation is, is different than like the Eastern Meditation, the yoga with the, the sitting there with your legs crossed and doing the Om Om thing. Uh, it engages, Christian meditation engages our thoughts, our imaginations, our emotions, and our desires in prayer. And this, this comes directly from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Meditation is also known as mental prayer. And it, it's essential for the Christian faith life. Every Christian needs to practice mental prayer every day. Your faith cannot live without prayer and and the vital and personal relationship with the living and true God. Again, this is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Your good habits, we all pray every day and, and as Catholics we have Hopefully we have a a consistent prayer life. And just the habits that you've created in that prayer life help to bring us to the presence of God. And it will help you in your Christian meditation practices. With your habit of daily prayer, you're already most of the way there. You have the basics for mental prayer. You're already there speaking with God. Now, we're going to take that a step further in meditation. We're going to listen to him too. And and Christian meditation is the way that we do that. I I don't want the word meditation to fool you. I mean, as I said earlier, mental practice it's it's very different from the Eastern meditation practices. Uh, Non-Christian meditation aims at emptying the mind, whereas Christian meditation engages the mind in prayer. Catholic meditation seeks to use the facilities of the mind to know the Lord, to understand his love for us and to move into a deeper union with him. And the use of our mind is, is necessary in order for us to deepen our connections of faith And prompt our conversation, the conversations of our heart, and to strengthen our will to follow Christ. Simply put, our goal is to answer the basic human questions. Lord, what do you want me to do? Christian meditation, it it must immerse us in the Trinity. We surround ourselves or we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit, who is the master of prayer, so that that he can unite us to Christ and perfect our prayer to the Father. Catholics, or as Catholics, we meditate to engage in mental prayer to be able to have that intimate conversation and relationship with God. But as I said last week, it can be a difficult thing to do. Our society, as I said, has trained us not to be patient and calm. It's taught us to expect instant gratification and it it also teaches us that we need to be productive. We always have to be doing something and, and sitting in prayer sometimes doesn't seem like we're doing anything. seems like we're wasting time, but it's, it's essential for our, for our spiritual life. So everything that society tra- trains us goes against the desires of our soul, which longs to enter into a personal relationship with God It's a relationship that's written on our heart. It's on the heart of everyone, each and every one of us. St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. To act on this desire is to cooperate with the promptings of the Holy Spirit, it's a gift. It's a gift of grace. God, he's love. He's the embodiment of truth. And to know God is to know what love is and to understand truth. It's one of the reasons that Jesus came to us as a man in order to teach us about the Father and about his love and to teach us about the truth and about ourselves that we are made in the image and likeness of God and we are loved. No matter what we've done, no matter how terrible a person that we think we are, the truth is that God loves us and we need to listen to God and not listen to those other voices that are telling us that we're not worthy. The more that we know God, We know who he is. The the better the relationship is that we will have with him and the better that we will know ourselves. Mental prayer is about growing in knowledge and admiration of God and growing in virtue. Meditation, it's a form of mental prayer involving an extended reflective thought on the presence and activity of God. It's a practice, it it was developed in the monastic tradition, you know, hundreds of years ago. And it requires a stillness of body in order for the mind to be active and fully focused on God. Christian meditation is generally understood to involve Discussive reasoning, traditional <laughs> lost my place to involve discussive, discursive, discursive. reasoning. <laughs> uh, and traditionally, like using Lexio Divina like we did last week, uh, the prayerful reading and meditation and reflecting upon sacred scripture. The Christian, yeah, on Scripture, other classical Christian writings, um, and not other spiritual writings. Uh, there are three known, well-known styles of meditation that have emerged. They are they're the Benedictine, the Ignatian, and the Augustinian. And I'd like to just briefly describe them a, a little bit to you. Uh, Benedictine meditation focuses on the, the con- or concept of Lectio, or as Benedict called it, listening with the ears of our heart. In it, we listen to or read over or reflect on a scriptural passage, and we pause and sit with the word that presents itself, allowing it to speak to us. To speak to one of the words of God or the works of God it, it's I, I think I saw it described as ruminating with, on, on the word you, you, it's like a cow chewing its cud you sit there and you just chew on, on the word that you've heard on the phrase whatever it is that, that has engaged you and you just think about it and reflect on it and listen to hear what God is trying to tell you. Ignatian meditation, again, is very similar to the Benedictine meditation. It involves reflecting on a passage of scripture, especially the words or actions of a biblical character, and then imagining that you have the opportunity to have some time alone with that person in order to seek you know, further explanation of the character's words or actions. It, it allows you, you know, to think, well, what would you ask that person? Uh, the, the spiritual exercises of, of St. Ignatius uh, are known as the examine, and, and they can be used as a guide in fostering or teaching about mental prayer or meditation. Tonight, we'll briefly experience the third form of meditation, which is Augustinian meditation. Augustinian meditation involves inserting into the passage your own name. For example, where God or Jesus addresses Israel or the crowd or an individual, one places them with ourselves in order to ask what God is saying to us. Maggie will now take over the session and she'll lead us or lead you, well lead us in a guided meditation exercise.
1: Good evening. How's everybody? Doing well? Did you have a good week? How's Lent? Mm -hmm. We're on our way, I guess, right? I just want to explain a little bit more in depth about meditation. I think one of the things about our Catholic faith that I enjoy the most is the depth and the breadth, width, and the opportunities that are offered to us. I think I was speaking with some of you last week when this was over, and I said, you know, everything is not for everyone. God speaks to each of us differently. We talked about that before. And not all forms of prayer work for everybody. So I don't want you to think, oh, I didn't do whatever it was. I didn't do something right. You did everything perfect. God just speaks to you a little differently than he speaks to somebody else, perhaps. It's all right. So there are some basic aspects to consider as you prepare to meditate. It's hard to do amongst the noise of the world. These include making a regular time to meditate, I try to do it when I first get up in the morning. To be honest with you, that doesn't always happen. But sometimes it does. Uh, Choose a suitable place. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie War Room. Anybody here seen War Room, the movie? Have you seen it? You need to see it. It's an older movie, probably maybe, I don't know, 10 years old? Uh, You might find it in one of those bargain racks. (laughs) Uh, You may be able to stream it, whatever. But it is a great movie about what it is to find a place to meditate and the power of prayer. It's called The War Room. When I first saw it, I thought, oh, this is, hmm. Then I watched it a little further and it was great. So when I say about choosing a suitable place, I have a war room. A lot gets accomplished in that war room, for personal and for other people as well. You have to take some time to prepare your body to meditate, which is why I usually try and do it in the morning, but there might be a time for you that's better. Maybe your downtime is in the evening when the kids go to bed, or maybe it's a night person and it's 10 o'clock. I'm asleep by then, I can't handle that. <laughs> I get up early. Uh, So we just say so you take your time to prepare your body and your mind my mind's clearer in the morning I was up at three this morning, so I had to take a nap this evening before I came, but that seems to be when I I get awoken is usually about two or three in the morning Adopt a good posture and it sounds a little crazy But you need to pay attention to your breathing when you're meditating Sounds a little out there, yoga-ish, but it's really not. So let's talk a little bit about the posture. And again, one of my favorite verses was from Father Hope that was on our wall in our chapel back at Sacred Heart in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. And it was Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, verse 10. And posture is an important aspect of meditation. If your body is still and relaxed, it is more likely you'll be receptive to this way of deeper prayer and stillness. You may sit on the floor or on a chair with your hands resting comfortably on your knees or your lap, whatever is comfortable. Consciously let go the stress and tension from your body. So that's why I usually do it in the morning, because hopefully I've had a decent night's sleep. Relax your arms and your neck and your shoulder and your face and keep your spine straight and just relax. Relax your legs and feel the stillness in your whole body. Be aware of any sounds in the far distance. Be aware of your heart beating, your pulse. Be aware of the silence in the room. Secondly, I think about, I told you about breathing. And the Hebrew word, Hebrew word for spirit is ruah, R-U-A-H, the same word for breath. St. Paul links the Holy Spirit with breathing, sighing when he writes, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we ought but the spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words and god who searches the heart knows what the mind what is the mind of the spirit and that's from romans so as you prepare to meditate pay attention to your breathing become aware of the rate of your breathing gently move towards a deeper slower, calmer rhythm. Sometimes when we're upset or anxious, we hold our breath and all it does is tense us all up. So consciousness of your breathing helps you to become more centered and still and more deeply aware of the Holy Spirit within you. So whenever you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father, who is in secret. What occurs between you and the Father, it will be magnificent. Meditation is not relaxation. Although it may lead to a sense of peace and calm, meditation is about praying with our whole being. That's the difference. In order to be attentive to the presence of God, It is a way of simplicity, where we allow God's mysterious and silent presence within us, not around us, but the silent presence within us, which, whether you're aware of that or not, is in you. Through him, with him, in him. And in you, he is in you. To become more and more the reality in our lives. Meditation is a gift by grace. We don't earn it. By grace, the person who sits in meditation becomes a blessing to others. And I said to the kids a few weeks ago when I was teaching, so what's grace and how do you get it? There were crickets in the room. I said, well, think about it. There are seven ways you can get that. They thought about it a little bit longer. Some of you were just confirmed, I said. There's a big hit. So we get grace through the sacraments. Seven sacraments. I told them there were seven. The person who sits in meditation becomes a blessing to others. As though they were a candle flame placed on the lampstand and filling the room with light. Meditation is not a selfish, solitary act. It is a benefit to the whole world. So if you think about that, it is by means no waste of time. So now I'm going to stretch you a little bit. How many of you have done this type of meditation before? Has anybody here done this? When we were in, and I relate a lot back to our formation, I say our formation because... uh, one is ordained and two are chosen. That is what we heard during, ordinate, during our diaconate formation. I'm not a deacon, but we heard that frequently. So you may see me with, with Deacon Bill a lot. <clears throat> We're a pair, we've been married, like I said, it'll be 36 years, so. Okay, so I ask you just for an open mind uh, those of you that are watching online, you can do this. Find yourself a nice space. All of you here have a nice space. So we struggle to remain awake and alert at the time of Jesus' agony. So I thought a good one to do today. This isn't something I wrote. This is something I found, and you can find them online. Jesus' agony in the garden. And in that agony, we discover our ability because of God's gift to minister to the disciples and to Jesus himself. Wow. Then we become empowered to minister to others in our lives as a result of that. Wow again. This meditation comes from Luke 22, verses 39 to 46. And we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Almighty God in heaven, there are times when our path seems confusing. When the direction we take is uncertain. When the course we should choose is unclear. We get confused because we're not sure how things will work out. Or what the future holds. Or what we can do now to make things better later. We try to trust in you. We want to put our faith in you. But what can be scary when we're not certain of your will for us. When we're unsure of what is best. So as we meditate, send us your Holy Spirit to guide us. To teach us that we might learn deeper trust, deeper faith, that we might act with greater love and greater hope. With your eyes still closed, take a slow, deep breath. Let it fill you. And again, another breath. Slowly and deeply. A breath, a breath which makes you lighter and lighter. When you feel weightless, exhale the air slowly. Silently. Letting the air propel you. Back in time. Far away in the distance. To ancient Israel to the time of Jesus Christ. It's early evening. You find yourself on a high knoll, overlooking a valley that leads to the walled city of Jerusalem ahead of you. And in the bright moonlight, you can make out the city's silhouette with its towers and angled stone buildings. Squeezed together and protected by enormous wall. The night air is refreshing. A cool breeze gently twists and turns. The sky is crowded with stars while the moon casts long shadows. It's breathtaking. But the city seems strangely quiet, almost eerie, as if something important were about to happen, something that no one is prepared for. From where you are on the knoll, you can just make out a group of travelers walking from Jerusalem in your direction on a dirt road. You can see that they will soon come to a fork in the road. When they reach it, they pause, unsure of which direction to go. And one of the group motions, the rest to follow him into a garden. They move through the opening of the protective stone wall through the gate and into the garden, the lush, peaceful, beautiful, private, secluded garden. And you join them there, walking with them through the old cluster of olive trees, trunks thick and twisted, rugged branches hanging low. Most of the group sit under the outside edge of the trees. Huddled together, their cloaks pulled close to their chins, staying warm. The evening is a bit chilly. Getting comfortable, the oldest of the group, Peter, points out a solitary figure over to one side near a well. Peter tells you how that man had been welcomed into Jerusalem with cheering earlier in the week. Palm fronds were laid in front of him. He had talked about the end being near, about how everything would change now, since he was coming into his kingdom. Everyone thought he meant that he would lead a fight to get rid of the Romans, but he didn't. And the mood of the people began to change. It wasn't what they had imagined. It wasn't what they had envisioned. They aren't cheering anymore. And the man has many powerful enemies here in peaceful Jerusalem. It's getting confusing. Then he talked about betrayal. The man said somebody would betray him. One of his best friends. How could a friend betray another friend? now we don't know who to trust we got into an argument we accused each other he tried to bring us together for the Passover meal but now we suspect each other and we are angry we are confused we're unsure of where we're being led Do you understand Peter? Do you know what he's trying to say about being betrayed by friends? Sometimes our friends are really against us when we think they are supporting us. They can turn against us as if all they really cared about was themselves. We become disappointed with their selfishness, their greed and become so very angry at how they've ruined everything and how we feel like we've lost all control and that we are in at their mercy has anything like that happened to you is there anything that you would say to peter Anything you could do to comfort him? Soothe his hurt feelings? Bring him some peace. Peace. Another of the group, the one with reddish hair, Thomas, tries to explain to you how that man had said, that everything would change now that he was leaving. But he won't take us with him. He's leaving us alone, with no way to find him. Thomas tells you about how he has come to depend on this man, how he has learned to trust him, how he made plans knowing that he would be part of those plans. And now he says he's leaving. Soon he'll be gone, and all the plans will be destroyed. All his dreams will vanish in just a moment's time. Do you understand Thomas? Do you know what he's trying to say about the fear of having our friends leave. Our hopes fade like the morning mist and vanish. And we are left alone, empty. With dry tears and deep sadness, we want to sob, but we hurt too much and we're drained of all our strength. And we become fearful about how we will continue without them. When nothing will ever be the same. And we know we will suffer terrible loneliness when they're gone. Has that ever happened to you? Is there anything you would like to say to Thomas? Is there any way you could comfort him? Bring him peace. Peace. And then the youngest calls out for your attention. A very young teenager. John waves you over to him. And he begins to tell you how he wanted to help the situation because he had insights and he knew what to do. But nobody would listen. Nobody would pay attention to him. They just ignored him because he was the youngest. They thought he didn't know anything They took him for granted, even though he was the only one that really understood. Nobody would give him credit or acknowledge him. And John, with great frustration, suddenly crosses his arms over his chest, as if closing himself off. Of his protecting himself from more hurt from being ignored. Can you understand John? Do you know what he's trying to say about being ignored or not having your opinions respected? Think about how you feel when people won't accept your knowledge or experience and you become very frustrated. And they treat you as if you are insignificant, a strong word, saying that you'll know better when you get older. And until then, they continue to treat you as if you were invisible. Or maybe they pretend that they're just listening or agreeing. But all they, all the time, they're just trying to pacify you because they think you have the right ans- they have the right answer in spite of you. And you want to tell them how ignorant they are. But it wouldn't matter because they surely wouldn't listen to that either. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Is there anything you would say to John? Is there any way you could comfort him? And be at peace. Sweet peace. And as the group becomes drowsy, yawning, they're starting to fall asleep. Some are snoring. You walk slowly over to the solitary man who is at a distance near the well. And as you quietly approach him from behind, you notice that the heavy robe he wears is soaked with sweat. His hair is dripping, stringy and matted. He rubs his hands together, twisting and turning them in his anxiety. His breathing is erratic, alternately deep and shallow. Breathing in gulps or sips, you stand next to him. He looks up at you with bloodshot eyes. Skin shining in the moonlight, His lips are trembling and he begins to shiver. Tears have streaked his face and he tells you that in his humanity, he is scared. Very scared. Nothing has seemed to work out the way he wanted it. His friends seem to have forgotten everything that he has taught them and said to them about the kingdom. They fight and quarrel and argue over which one of them is the greatest. Money and possessions are more important than anything. He had hoped to change people's hearts end fighting and cruelty. Establish God's justice, usher in God's return to the world, this world, and now, at the end, hoping to find healing love in the hearts of those around him. Instead, he finds overwhelming sin. And he wonders if he's done something wrong he fears he has failed miserably he's afraid he is a disappointment to his heavenly father and then there is no time left to change things and he would rather have another chance or more time but his only choice seems to be to pay the price for all the sin that remains in the world to suffer for those who still sin to take that sin upon himself and destroy it by letting his own life be destroyed he has to die if there was only there was another way he says some way other than suffering because of others Bearing all the pain that they have caused. Suffering, the refraction, rejection, even of those who claim to love me. My friends abandoned me when I needed them most. I don't think I'm strong enough to endure all that. And Jesus begins to sob. His hands are shaking. Hiding his face, as if he were humiliated to have you see him at this difficult hour of his life. You can hear him murmur that there is no other way, and that somehow he will have to trust, to surrender to the Father, and to trust that God the Father can make sense of whatever seems confusing. Then he looks up, exhausted, bone-weary, hand-trembling. He extends his hand to you, silently, waiting, hoping. Is there anything you would like to say to the Lord? Is there anything you can do for him? Can you bring him peace? Know that you'll have to let go. You'll have to let Jesus continue on his own to fulfill the mystery of his earthly life as a father has led him alone but know that he continues on with the gift of your spirit your caring and concern know that you have had an incredible ability to comfort others to give people strength because of what you have endured yourself Bring that gift of caring for others with you. And with stillness in your heart, return back to here. Leave the garden of the Mount of Olives. Turn with one more glance back at our Savior. and return here, knowing that you are never alone, knowing that you are with others, others who have the same ability, able to offer you the kind of caring and support that you need from them, and be at peace. Slowly wiggle your fingers, your toes. Stretch your arms and your legs. And when you are ready, open your eyes And thank God for the time we've spent with him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. how we do? It's a beautiful meditation, isn't it? You can take any. There's lots of these online. You can pull them. I pulled this one from online. I just thought it was great for this time and uh hopefully you have a it's deepened your relationship with christ and the knowledge of who you are with him that's our goal my husband and i talk about lots of things and church being a lot of them (laughs) we just the only thing we want to do is to deepen your relationship with christ Because there you will find happiness, peace, and joy. And I can only say that the outpouring of love that has been given to us in time of need since we've come here from Pennsylvania to Oklahoma, I can't even put words to it. From things that have happened to us recently to the welcome that we received when we came here. So I know it's in you because we feel it. You're the light that I referred to at the beginning of the reading. So God be with you and have a beautiful week until we meet again. It's two weeks. And don't forget, we're going to offer a course on metanoia change. That's out at Queen of All Saints after Lent because hopefully there'll be some changes that you have made in Lent and we don't want to give up chocolate, and then start over again with the same habits that we had before. So we want to grow in virtue during Lent, and you wanna maintain those virtues afterwards. So this program, Metanoi, if you wanna look it up, um, it's from uh, the Wild Goose, is the name of the website if you'd like to look it up. It's uh, Pavonka, Dave Pavonka, he's the president of Steubenville out in Ohio at the college. But prior to doing that, he led, and there's also uh, the Wild Goose TV programs that you can watch as well. They're very, very powerful. He's a very spirit-led priest. We just saw him yeah. at the men's conference. If you went to the men's conference, he spoke. I think you were, you didn't get to go. Yeah. He was at the men's conference. So we got to see him again and we shook his hand and said, hey, we remember you from, he came to a, <laughs> believe it or not, a Catholic tent revival in Virginia, and we were there and it was powerful. So he kinda got us hooked on him a little bit, but um, very powerful uh, video series and a chance for discussion. I don't think that enough people, enough Catholic adults get a chance to have discussions with each other and we learn things from each other and how much we grow from each other's feelings and experiences and thoughts because I'm anxious to hear your thoughts as much as you hopefully like to hear ours there are things that you know that are going to change my life and his life and we need to know those because we're together in this journey so thank you for your attention I hope that you had a, a refreshing meditation and have a beautiful two weeks, we're off next week, so the next class that we'll teach is on uh, what was it?
0: Liturgy of, the Hours.
1: Liturgy of the Hours. So I don't know how many of you have participated in that before, but again, it was something that we've encountered. and it, It's a back and forth type of prayer. That's the official prayer of the church that's prayed continuously. So we'll join in the uh, rest of the church uh, during that time next week as we pray the Liturgy of the Hours together with it's, it's a continual prayer of the church it happens all day long every moment of every day so it's, it's a beautiful practice so um, i ordered something that's really cool that was put out by ascension press and i hope we get it in time so you say your prayers that we get those materials in time if not woo. okay so have a blessed week
0: okay the lord be with you may almighty god bless you in the name of the father and of the son and the holy spirit amen Go in peace. Thanks
1: Thanks be to be to God.